Hi, and welcome into Balls in the Air. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Charlie Romer. Got a really special show coming uh, for you today, as always. Uh, we are attached to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, the golf capital of the world. And uh, we got a couple of superintendents that uh, are joining the show today. One of them is retired, Bob Raynham. And Bob, drum roll please, is the Long Island legend. <laughs> And uh, what, a, what an amazing uh, nickname he has. Great story. Really good friend. And uh, also Jim Huntoon, who is still active. Jim's much younger than Bob. and uh, Everybody is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Jim is at Heritage down in Pauley's Island, the south end of Myrtle Beach. And uh, I think Heritage is the best kept secret in, in all of Myrtle Beach. But uh, thrilled that uh, you guys would come in and hang out. You know, these superintendents are so arrogant. It's difficult to get them to come and hang out, you know, with a PGA professional like huh. me because they look down on us so much. They don't think we, you know, do very much. We just fold sweaters and stuff like that. Well, they do the real work in the uh, in the world of golf. But, guys, we, we appreciate you joining. And, you know, I, I'd like to uh, maybe start with, um, start, <laughs> start with this. Both of them called about three days ago. They want me to give them a preview of what I was going to ask them. I said, no, 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 no preview. I can't believe you think I would give you a preview. I should have given you. I thought we were friends. I thought you would do that. Oh, well, it's a lot more fun messing with you. You don't need it. We were member, member, and the member, member. Right. We finished last in the night flight. And most people think it's because of him, not me, because I'm the pro. But he actually played better than (laughs) I did. So uh, we weren't last. We were second to last. But anyway, let's talk a little background. And and Bob, I'm going to start with you. You, you, you. You, um, uh, two big jobs. You were Garden City, and yep. and then uh, you finished up last 30 years of your career, uh, right at 30 years at Atlantic up on Long Island, Reese Jones Golf Course. But let's let's just talk. Let's get back to the beginning. When, you know, when did you decide that you were going to be a superintendent? How'd you go about that? Well, that's pretty interesting. When I was in high school, you like this story. So I was in high school. I met a girl, my wife now after 43 years, and we started dating. And one day she said to me, she goes, "Would you like to go work for my father?" I said, what is he doing? He goes, he's a golf course superintendent on Long Island at um, Rockville Links. I didn't even know what a golf course was back there. We were 15 years old. So she went back to her dad and said, Daddy, would you give my new boyfriend a job? And he said, yeah, I'll give him a job. So he picks me up. I remember like it was yesterday. It's so weird. And he picks me up at my house. We lived down the block from each other. We're only a block away. And I went to work that day. And like anything else, I worked. I had a great time. And I got home. And we used to meet at the railroad station in between both of us. So after work, I re-ran up, and she says, what you think? And I said, I'll tell you right now, I will never do anything again in my life. From that moment on, my first day of work at Rockville Links, I knew that's my love. Wow. I never did anything else. So I worked for him for a year or two, then I obviously went to UMass. And then after that, you know, I got my first head job at Garden City Golf Club, which was an amazing thing because I was 23 years old, top 50 club in the country, one of the most respected golf courses in the country. And I was there for, I was lucky enough to be there for 13 years. And then I moved on to build, grow in Atlantic Golf Club on the East End of Long Island, where I spent my last 30 years. So, so before I get to, to Jim, you, you, that first day, Matt. working for, for Allison's Day, you said you loved it. What, what did you love about it? What I tell you what I really, and it's really weird, I did love being outside. I loved the whole golf course. But what really intrigued me was the equipment part of it. So we were in the, in the maintenance building just to see equipment that I've never seen before. Hand greens, mowers, triplexes, sprayers. I was intrigued on all the equipment. I just couldn't get enough thinking. 
and you got this great little maintenance building. You got all this equipment you can screw around with. You don't have customers yelling at you to fix anything. <laughs> so I was just so I that really drew drew me in was the equipment aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then as I grew on the golf course, I realized I loved everything about it from you know the game to the maintenance to the. And I think the challenge and Jim will say this: the challenge of trying to get a golf course. We never think a golf course is perfect. It's never going to happen in our eyes, even though you might play and say this is, place is great. But it's the challenge of trying to get there. It's the challenge of satisfying yourself, not somebody else. I remember always driving around the golf course, and a member would come to me and say, Bobby, the place is great. And I would say, well, did you see over here? It just isn't right. Because we always want golf course superintendents love perfection. And real quick, a little side note. Since I've retired, I went... I'm doing work for golf. You're, you're, you're retired? Yeah. Had a party, too. <laughs> <laughs> he had this huge party at Atlantic, and I didn't show up, and he's never going to let me forget about it. <laughs> so so going around, so this year for Golf Magazine, I went to 40 golf courses I've never seen before. And what I find more, besides just the architectural value of the golf course, is just spending time with the golf course superintendents. Every superintendent is so enthusiastic about their piece of property. They just can't wait to show you everything mm. about it, what they want to do, what they have done, the plans they have, the architectural values. So I had so much fun just spending a day with the superintendent. So I, my average day would be I'd get there at 6 o'clock for the superintendent. I'd spend the morning with him. Then I'd play in the afternoon to really get the value of the whole golf course. So that was a real fun thing that I've been doing. Well, we'll save a little bit of that yeah. for later because I okay. want to dive into that and what you're doing for Golf Magazine now. But uh, first, Jim, h- how did you first fall in love with this golf business? Because the, the golf business, you, you got to be in love with it to do it, no matter whether you're on my side or your side. But, but where did you first fall in love with golf? When I was a teenager, my grandfather taught me to play. And I picked up on it really quick and enjoyed it and kind of immersed myself in the game then. And uh, you do have to have a love for it, Charlie. And it, um, I still do. And um, I just kind of um, was not originally thinking about going into the golf business. But once I got through college the first time and Got out and graduated, realized I had to work for a living. I decided it might be time to... uh, I'm 53. I hadn't figured that out yet. (laughs) Well, you're doing well. But um, I just kind of went back to golf and kind of said, you know, this might be a way to enjoy what you do and um, have a career at the same time. So so you fell in love with it, decided you want to get into it. And how did that transition to this really excellent career that you've had so far you've got some plenty more in front of you as a golf course superintendent did 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 you go intern did you work on a crew tell me a little bit about your your education yeah well this is kind of how I got down to Myrtle Beach I'm originally from the Midwest and um, I graduated from Iowa State University with a degree in community and regional planning and like I said I was figured out pretty quickly I didn't want to do that so I immediately started working on the grounds crew at a local country club there Mm-hmm. Ames Golf and Country Club, and Iowa State's a big turf school, so there was a lot of turf guys that were working there, students, and kind of just hanging around them. I just felt like oh, this might be something that I want to do, and I just graduated with a bachelor's and wanted to go to a two-year school and kind of looked around and found out about Ori Georgetown here in Conway, and at the time, I was 24, my wife was 24, and we were living in Ames, Iowa in the middle of the winter. And That's not much fun. Myrtle <laughs> Beach sounded like a good place to move to, Charlie. It really did, and so we moved down here in 99, and um, 
the rest is history. Been here since, and I've worked at, uh, I worked for 11 years at Caledonia through school as mm-hmm. an assistant superintendent. I did do a stint at Pinehurst for an internship, but just Caledonian Heritage are really the only two golf courses that I've been at, right next to each other. So. And two good ones to be at. I, I noticed while you were talking, um, Bob was looking down at his phone there. He's got a great excuse because the grandbaby is on the way <laughs> and yeah. as, as we speak. And, uh, of course, Bob would be there uh, up, up up on Long Island, but with COVID, it's difficult to travel and all that right now. So, so you get a couple of texts coming in. You're, you're excused. Okay. So, so uh, pr- pretty neat stuff right now for, for Bob. But tell me a little bit about your, your education. Well, I, well, when I was, I was on, I worked, worked for Gene, Allison's father, and I realized that I wanted to go. So at the time when I was going, I graduated high school in 73. So we were looking around at the best colleges. And back then, UMass was by far the number one turf school anywhere around. So it was like a no brainer that I would go up there. So I went up there and I, you know, Took me five years to get out of a four-year program, but I can pretty, relate to that. That's pretty normal, <laughs> and I was, um, and I just loved it. I mean, I'd come back every, I would come back every summer, obviously, and work on different golf courses. I tried to work, what I tried to do, which was, I think was interesting for me, was every summer I came back home, I worked for a different superintendent on Long Island. So I went to Piping Rock one year. I went to actually Garden City Golf Club where I became the superintendent, and I did Cherry Valley one. Just so I could see different ways superintendents manage their crew, manage their golf courses. I thought I wanted to get as much possible I could. And then when I graduated, Garden City Golf Club, the superintendent from there was moving up to Piping Rock, Mel Lucas. And I just said, I'm also just interviewed. I know the place. And I interviewed. I was a young kid, 23 years old, interviewed against all these big superintendents. And I remember, again, I remember like it was yesterday, they said to me on the third interview, Bob, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to let you be the superintendent here for one year. And if it's a complete disaster, we take it, we, we'll, t- we'll make it, we'll, we'll go away. Well, my first year was a complete disaster. <laughs> I killed every blade of grass I could find. I was killing the neighbor's yards. <laughs> and, and then at the end, I think, ah, oh, this isn't going to be good. And then he came to me and said, listen, you didn't do a great job, but I got to tell you, you worked around the clock. We see the progress you're going to do. We understand there was a lot of thatch on the golf course, and you were trying to eliminate it. So they said, keep going. And I said, 13 years at the Garden City Golf Club was, was a great experience for me because being a young superintendent, I, I didn't really know playing conditions as much as growing grass. And that membership, being 100 members less than 10 handicapped there, they taught me what a condition should be. Firm, fast, don't worry about green grass. Worry about play, playability. So he really set the tone for my career and playability, which I think most of my career I went after. Let, let me uh, ask you to jump in, Jim. The, the, um, so many times in golf, we, we, we hear these terms, and we sort of assume everybody knows what it means. You know, a, lot, a lot of times if I'm doing a live event, well, that, that player caught a flyer. Well, some people know what a flyer is. Some people don't. Everybody acts like they know what it is. They don't really. He, he mentioned the term thatch. Uh, just in layman's term, you know, what what is thatch and why is it so important uh, to not have so much of it on a golf course? It's the um, decaying plant material as the grass grows and ages, and it's the underground uh, parts of the of the turf grass plants, the rhizomes and the stolons. Those aren't really layman's terms, but that's what we call them. Yeah. They're underground. Stems. I know those are parts of right. plants, yeah. and um, that all stuff 
over time breaks down and it creates a spongy layer between the soil and the turf surface and it affects um, the playability of the golf or of the turf and of the golf course. It affects the um, um, overall health of the turf. You know, you, the more thatch you have, the harder it is to get water and fertilizer and chemicals to where you need them. And um, it's a very important part of managing turf for playability and sustainability. And so to get it out, how, how do you go well, about doing that? Let's say uh, you, 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 your career at, at Garden City and Atlanta has all been bent grass, which yeah. folks can relate to yeah. in terms of the, the greens. First time I ever saw bent grass fairways in my life was up in the North Carolina mountains, and I was just terrified to take a divot. I was playing Grandfather Mountain, and, uh, and their fairways were better than any green I'd ever seen in my life. But how, how, do, you, how well, do you go about getting it out? So just to get back to Jimmy, he's 100% right in growing the grass. And as like you as a player knows, the firmer the surface you can get to, the better, less smaller the divots, the better it bounces. You can't achieve any of that if you start off with thatch. You can't go to a golf course and say, just turn the water off because it'll be a disaster. But how to get it out, there's many ways to get it out. I found over the career for me, aerification was the best. The more I could aerify the golf course, which is pulling a plug up, dragging it back in, just eliminating it. Then once I got the thatch that was manageable, I would go into more deep verticutting, deep dethatching like that. And then eventually I got into top dressing fairways, which we do on greens, and I was top dressing fairways. I had, looking back on my career, I don't know if the top dressing of the fairways was as important as the aerification and the dethatching. And then I think if you add all that together and you get yourself a good playing surface, it's managing the fertilizer. Because if we go out and over-fertilize a golf course, you're just producing thatch, what you just brought up. So we have to regulate that fertilizer very, very lean to make it playable. And the best compliment you're going to get is if a Charlie Reimer comes to your place and says, this is, this is what I want to play on, then you know you've achieved what you're trying to get. You, you, when the ball hits the ground on a well-prepared golf course, uh, obviously taking out, I mean, somebody gets 10 inches of rain in three days, there's not much you can do with that. But no, normal rain, just, just the sound of a ball hitting a green, the sound of a ball, you can hear, hear it landing in the fairway and bounding forward. It, it's something that, that quite honestly, I, I don't think we see enough of in the U.S. And I think, I think a lot of golfers here don't understand that that you know, the, the game is meant to be played along the ground. And because we have courses that are, that are so green here, you know, the ball just doesn't, just doesn't release out. And, they, and they, to me, the game is a lot less fun and you use a lot less imagination. And there's a lot of really cool features on golf courses that you can't use because everything just hits and, and splats. I, I, it, it, it's, uh, something that that's been uh, really frustrating for me to see over the years. You know, especially go to a golf course and they say, "Oh, we're old style." You know, we play link style golf, and then you go out and every fairway, boom, you know, it just it just splats. But I wanted to get to this, Jim. I think the impression among a lot of folks um, that play golf and don't otherwise that that uh, chemical applications on golf course golf courses can be really bad for the environment and and i think in many cases that's not really true what are your thoughts on that yeah there we've come a long way in the industry and um you know real quick before i touch on that i wanted to mention you know as superintendents we're trying to um get as little growth as we possibly can of the turf to maintain the playing conditions like you talked to it's really not uh it's more of 
you know, how little can we get this grass to grow and still mow it and still hold up to the traffic and provide a good surface. But uh, golf courses are good stewards of the environment. And we, pesticides, fertilizer, all these things are expensive. And we're trying to get by as efficiently as possible. And um, a lot of the new stuff is what we call site-specific. It's not like your old-style pesticides or DDTs where you drop a bomb out there and everything in the soil gets killed. You know, it's very site-specific, and we're very careful because obviously a lot of people love the natural part of golf. They love Mm. the wildlife. They love the um, just being with nature, and I think we do everything in our power to encourage that. And um, environmental stewardship and responsibility is at the forefront of everyone's mind. And wildlife management on golf courses is a big, big issue as well. I mean, Atlantic, I've only been there a couple of times with you, but you got to be covered up in wildlife in the summertime. And that's got to be something the members like. Yeah, we do. We are, I mean, it was unique. We had 68 acres of natural grasslands, Atlantic. So you had these big fields of a fine fescue, little blue stem, big blue stem. Plus, we were surrounded by acreage. So we always had deer and fox, coyotes, and everything was out there. So it was good like that. Just to get, touch base on that firmness real quick. <laughs> what he said about the, the, the flyer lies, you know, all the stuff we try to do on a fairway and the rough, which I believe in a nice tight rough for that flyer lie, it all falls apart if the greens can't react the way you want them to react. So if you could set up where you could hit that right shot in the fairway and react to that green, but you're in the little rough with a flyer, you can't stop it. It really makes the difference in things. So that I'd like to just say that the... I think everything's important from the tee, the fairway, and the green. How many times do you walk on a golf course and you stand on that tee and you say, I know right away this superintendent's good because it's a firm tee, it's a good tee. You know the golf course is going to be here. That whole presentation all the way through. Sorry for jumping. Oh, you, you, do whatever, <laughs> you do wherever you want to go with this show. I mean, you didn't get dressed up. Or anything, <laughs> I'm so. sorry about that. Yeah. Was he surprised us? <laughs> so, so, Jim, you, you play golf. Bob tries to play <laughs> golf. <laughs> He's actually a lot better than I give him credit for. And I, I don't really want to – I'm not try, asking this question to you guys to, to throw any superintendents under under the boat, but um, how important do you think it is for superintendents to, to play, to get out and spend time playing with not, not just maybe a couple of their buddies, but get out and play with either the, the, the members or the customers, wh- wh- whatever golf course – uh, they have. How, how important do you think it is for them to get out and play? I think it's extremely important. You just um, you get in a habit of of riding around the course when you're working, and you don't look at things in the same way. You know, um, when you're actually playing, you're actually seeing it from the golfer's perspective, and it's ultimately um, a lot of us superintendents get caught up in grass and irrigation and this and that. But it is about golf, mm-hmm. and you can't lose sight of that. And Um, there have been superintendents over the years that have been very successful that didn't play golf, but, uh, you have to have a lot of other intangibles if you're not going to play. And I think playing and seeing things through the player's eyes is, is crucial. It's got, it's gotta be hard though. Like I I got a, a good buddy who's a, who's a preacher in Atlanta and, um, uh, he claims to be the top Methodist preacher in all of Atlanta. They have a, they have a, um, ranking system preachers do to figure out who's like the top in the state, sort of like, you know, you and golf magazine writer, yeah, yeah. the preachers that have the most members at Augusta national, you know, they figure they're, they're high. He said, he's got seven in his church, you know, so he's number one preacher in, in, uh, in Atlanta or in the state of Georgia. But, but when I take him out places, he loves golf and, and, um, 
it, it's a lot of fun to not tell people that you got a preacher with you because he wants to see what the real world is like, you know. And that's got, but it's got to be the same thing for you guys when you go to play golf. You don't want the people. If you go somewhere else, you don't want to know you're a superintendent because then you got an earful all day long, right? Especially if it's a, a course that, that if they don't know you and it's a member or, or a customer, that'd be, that would be sort of tough, I would think, to play golf with them. You'd rather, you'd rather almost do it anonymously, right? Well, I'll tell you my experience. And when I, I was superintendent for 43 years, and uh, superintendent for 43 years, and I joined a club down the block that was a private club called Southampton Golf Club, which was a wonderful Seth Rayner golf course. Jimmy came to visit me. We played it. And I, so I got perspective of what members think. So when I would go to that club and play with the members, I heard what members, and I could bring that back to Atlantic and say, okay, okay. if you just surround yourself with superintendents, sometimes you're all just complaining about the same thing. Wait, wait, but superintendents we, complain? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> about us PGA pros, I bet. Well, that's, it's up there. It's not the top three. <laughs> <laughs> so, we can get to the top three. But the thing is, so I had that perspective. Also, when I'd go back and play with our membership, it's always good for the superintendent to play with the membership because then there it's them and three guys. And hopefully, most times the members aren't going to talk about the turf, but you can see what they look at. For example, what bothers people the most on the golf course? Is it the bad? Is it the bunkering? Is it the rough? So I think it's super, super important for the golf course superintendent to play his own golf course, to play other golf courses to see it, and to know the game of golf. I don't know. I know there has been successful guys like that, but I think they would even be more successful if they played. I agree. What kind of things have you learned from getting out and playing your club heritage? Uh, recently, I can think of a couple times um, where I played, and, for example, we have a par three, uh, number 13 on the backside. It's over water, and the, the main you know um, tee that most people play there was some sawgrass growing up and it was two, you know, kind of two feet um, right past the tee, two feet high. And, you know, I hit my ball into that sawgrass, Charlie. Yeah. Right off the tee, right off the tee. And the next day it got trimmed down. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think it's important to play other golf courses and um, superintendents have a good uh, relationship with each other. And it's the type of business where, you lean on your peers, you know, mm-hmm. Bob's been a mentor to me and it helped me a lot over the years. And early on when I was at Caledonia, um, we hit it off right away playing golf and talking golf. And um, it's just a good thing to network with your neighbor superintendents. And they've all, we've all got the same problems and we help each other and try to do anything we can to further the business, especially yes. here in Myrtle beach, you know, because we're all, you know, we all want everybody to be as good as they possibly can, Charlie. When, when you all get together, I mean, I, I know I had lunch the other day with a group of superintendents, and and y'all made me buy buy lunch. You said, "Listen, you're the only PGA guy here, so you're going to buy." You've never buy seen lunch. a golf pro put his hand in his pocket before, <laughs> so everybody was taking pictures. Right, it's the first time I bought lunch in, in a long time. But typically, when you all get together, <clears throat> is it socially? You get together to play golf. Um, I mean, do you have a, I, I know there's a golf course superintendents association. I assume there's yep. a Myrtle beach chapter. Is that when you try Correct. to get together? Yes. Yeah. The local chapter is the Palmetto's golf course superintendents association, which is our local association underneath the Carolina's golf course superintendents association. And yeah. A lot of times we'll do full day events where we might have some education in the morning, um, and then play golf in the afternoon and, um, have fellowship and just, get together and 
Talk to talk, Charlie. Yeah, and, and I know there's an exchange of ideas, uh, best practices, that sort of stuff. And to, to this area, we're obviously warm season grasses, and one of the debates that always comes up is do you overseed, do you not overseed, do, do you use one of the green dyes and make it uh, uh, make it where it's pretty, but that grass isn't growing in the wintertime. And, and, uh, but maybe, maybe one of the issues that comes up here that challenges in particular superintendents in the Myrtle Beach area the most, what, what would that be one of the, what would one of the bigger issues be? Toughest thing that you, that you deal with, as a, that we deal with as a market year in and year out. I'd say not just here as in our market, but nationwide weather. Obviously, you can't control that, and it's constantly going to throw you curveballs, and that's part of being a superintendent is learning how to deal with those. The longer you do it, the more you understand that you can't control it and you just deal with it. But other than that, um, here in Myrtle Beach, uh, some golf courses have heavy amounts of play. I know um, – that can be challenging, wear and tear. You know, it's great with what's happening now with more people getting in the game, Charlie. I can tell you that a big topic right now is uh, the single cart usage. You yeah. Know, that's a big thing that we're all um, communing on and talking about and trying to develop ideas how to deal with that. Well, especially at times of year when the grass isn't growing. It's critical right now. Yeah. And I know um, here in Myrtle Beach where some facilities are dealing with it more than others and um, – I know for the company that I work for, uh, we've had some symposiums and get-togethers about how to deal with it, and I had to submit a plan to my bosses and superiors about what our traffic mitigation plan is to deal with that, which is it's great that more people are playing, but uh, the single carts is definitely, it's not doubling our wear, but it's definitely increasing it. Yeah, so. and every, everybody agrees. If, if you're someone who rides in a golf cart and you come into a course and hear cart path only, I mean, that's like end of the world for, for a lot of folks. But so, so what are some of the solutions? I, I, I know that's tough. I mean, I, I see different things being tried, you know, where it's, it's like scatter, get on yep. the course here, get on, get on the course here, try and move it around. Is there, is there anything that you see on the horizon innovative that, that might help in some newer, lighter vehicles, different tires, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think in the short term, you know, we're trying to, I think a lot of us are looking at increasing fertilization, Kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. We need to increase fertilization because we have more wear. And a lot of courses uh, probably had to trim some of their budgets for to deal with the pandemic and maybe didn't fertilize as much in 2020 as they normally would. So I know I'm looking to bump that up a little bit. Um, you know, some of the things I've heard people talking about doing is using like a two-cart system, which basically means you can take four carts and a foursome. Everybody have their own cart, but only two carts are allowed on any given fairway at any time. Yeah. And it's up to the group to decide, you know, I don't care how you do it, but yeah. you guys just decide if we come or, you know, just make sure there's only two carts out there. I've heard that being used. Um, a lot of Myrtle Beach golf courses are really good at traffic control. I know at, you know, at Heritage and coming up at, at Caledonia, both busy facilities, you know, we kind of use a gate system where we change the entrances and exits and if you keep up with that on a regular basis, it does a good job of spreading out the wear. You just need the golfers to understand what's going on and, and help us all make the golf course as good as they can be for everybody. I, I know some places will go to the GPS. Every time Bob and I ride together, we get put in GPS timeout with the beep, beep, beep. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> we, we have to back out of there. But but I know pe people hate hearing, people hate hearing about airification. You guys have talked about why you have airification. They hate cart path only but the fact of the matter is is 
you you got to have cart path only certain times of the year, no matter what part of the the uh, country you're in. Uh, Bob, Bob, I, I want to ask you, um, the folks that don't know Bob, he, he's a little bit of a maverick and and uh, isn't afraid to break from the pack. And one one of the cool things that uh, he's got the best uh, front ports in all of Myrtle Beach and. I may or may not have spent a few evenings out there listening to some Riley Green playing country music and maybe drinking a nice wine, but uh, and love staying late at night. You got to come up for one of those evenings, Jim. But you have to stay over though. But <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, fine. Yeah, Uber back. Yeah. But one of the things that uh, stories that 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 I appreciated hearing from you was um, you were the first superintendent, maybe in the country, to use triplex mowers, which are used to be used for greens, now most places used to push mowers, but you were one of the first superintendents to go to triplex mowers on the fairways. T- tell me well, that story. It wasn't, I wasn't one of the first, but I'll tell you how I came up with it. Um, went to the Walker Cup at Pine Valley, I think, what, maybe 84, I forget the exact, you probably know the year better than I do. So four superintendents, we all went to the Walker Cup for the day. And I'm walking down these fairways, and they, they let y'all—they let y'all in. Yeah, we snuck in. Yeah. <laughs> See, it's a bad neighborhood around Pine Valley, so you can get through the gate. Okay. okay. So, so, so again, I'm walking down, and it just shows about different superintendents. Four of us are walking down, and these are the best fairways I've ever seen in my life. I was like blown away. So I said, "We got to go see the superintendent." And at the time, it was a guy named Dick Beta, which is a very famous superintendent now. He's been every golf course, Marion, Oak Hill, and he was at the Pine Valley. So I walk in, I say, hey, Dick, Bob Rainham, Garden City Golf Club. I said, these are the best fairways I've ever seen in my life. What do you do? And he didn't even look up. He just pointed to double doors. And if you see maintenance buildings, they all have the double doors. And he just went like this, put his head down. I walked through these doors, and there was 25 triplex fairway bowls. I'm like, wow. So I'm thinking, you can't cut greens with 25 triplex fans <laughs> on So I go back, I said, Dick. And he goes, I pick up clippings. I cut all my fairways with these. I pick up the clippings, or I move the clippings. Cuts down on my fertilizer, cuts down putting the extra water down, lets the bent grass get ag- aggressive and move into the Poana areas, which we're all trying to eliminate. So we'll get back in the car, and two of us said, damn, when we get back, we're going to figure out a way to do this on Long Island. And the other two said, you'll ruin the game if you, you'll ruin the game if you, <laughs> somebody's beeping me, I'm sorry. You'll ruin the game if you, uh, if you, um, if you do this to your fairways. So we went back, I started it. Garden City Golf Club changed my fairways in one year. The other superintendent was at a course called Plandom. The other two wouldn't do it. They fought it for years. Eventually, every superintendent in Long Island was doing it. And that's why nobody likes him. That's why nobody likes me. <laughs> There's other reasons, but that's one of them. But, you know, you asked me, like, I bring up challenges for the Northeast. The big challenge we always have in the Northeast is things called nematodes. <laughs> so, so anything that goes wrong with my golf course at Atlantic, I said, it's nematodes. I can't control these little things. I figured I would say it before he did. <laughs> every every superintendent I've ever been around. I mean, if you think about it, folks, there's this creature that's microscopic, right? And it eats grass. It destroys grass. And apparently there's no treatment for it. And every time a superintendent can't grow grass because they've been out fishing too much and not out cutting the grass, they blame it on this poor little creature that's mythical and doesn't even exist. It works, though. Yeah. I mean, you got to go. I've, I've, heard, I've heard you guys explaining it to the ball. Oh, we've got nematodes in there. What's that? Well, it's this thing you can't see and it eats grass. Really? Yeah. I mean, really? A nematode? Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> that's the biggest challenge we have. Oh uh, yeah, they're the best things ever happened to superintendents okay. and nematodes. And they'll go on for generations. <laughs> he, 
Bob doesn't know anything about grain on Bermuda grass, so I'm going to talk to you about this, Jim. For, for our folks that are listening that, that maybe play uh, on bent grass and never really dealt with grain that much, a lot of folks just don't understand the whole concept of grain. So just like I asked you about thatch, grain on Bermuda grass, one-on-one, what, what is it? And, it, and it's unlike nematodes, it actually exists. <laughs> it does exist, and it is... Um, just the way the grass lays over. You know, a lot of times the grass wants to grow towards the setting sun. Sometimes it wants to grow with whatever way the water flows mm-hmm. off. And a lot of times on Bermuda grass greens, it can be just kind of have a crazy mind of its own, Charlie, and just go all different directions. And yep. you can, as you play on Bermuda grass greens more and more, you can see the different um, shades. If it's lighter, you know it's going. Um, you're going with the grain. If it's darker, it's coming into you. It's basically the same concept as the, the light and dark stripes in the fairways that you see with the mowers. Um, but it's something that has to be accounted for. Um, it, it's variable from golf course to golf course. Uh, some golf courses, grain is more influential than, than others. Some golf courses spend a lot of money to try to eliminate it and minimize it, and others just roll with it. Yeah, so so let's get into that a little bit. O- over the years, I I grew up in South Carolina, just south of Charlotte, and I was in an area where we were maybe ninety five percent bent, five percent Bermuda, and and now it's flip flop because the Bermudas are just so much better, and and to me that these new Bermuda grasses, the uh, Ultra Tiff Dwarfs, oh, well, you got Champion, Mini Verde. I know there's a ton of other varieties around. Those two seem to be the most popular. In, in the southeast, but these grasses, when I look at them, are, are just so much better than what I ever thought Bermuda could possibly be. For, from my standpoint, it, it's changed the industry. What are your thoughts on these new grasses? It has changed it, and they are um, revolutionary compared to the old Tiff Dwarf and the 328s and the older varieties. They can be mown lower. They have a um, dwarfer leaf texture the leaves are smaller the leaves are the nodes are closer together which means that's where the leaves come out of the stems um they can be managed in certain ways to increase ball roll and smoothness and it 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 has been a revolution and um a lot of you know a lot of places that were bent grass in the south have gone to these ultra dwarf bermudas just because it's not so much that they're cheaper to maintain when they first came out, that's what people would say. You know, you don't have to hand water them in the summertime. Cheaper comparing them to bent grass. To bent grass, right. Yeah. Um, we've kind of come back on that a little bit. Uh, it's more of a funds are reallocated to other areas, but um, the superintendents and the crews definitely have a much better quality of life in the summertime. Yeah. Um, I always felt bad for superintendents yeah. in the summertime in the south trying to keep bent grass alive, you know, especially these hot, humid nights, you know, and that's, I, I always thought that was really tough. So you're, you're, you're a warm season grass. Yep. Your career's been here. You specialize in that, Bob. You're, you're cool season. And, and I've seen that, that the line creep farther and farther north, you know, and, he, and even to me, when I start looking, you know, I, want, I wonder, like in the Washington, D.C. area, I'm thinking about congressional, they've got a lot of big tournaments coming I don't know how well it could handle, uh, Bermuda could handle uh, what gets thrown that way in, in the wintertime. But wh- where do you think that line is going to finally get to on, on, hey, if you're north of here, you got to have bent. If you're south of here, 
you got to have Bermuda. It's hard to say it is moving north. You know, the use of covers has really brought the uh, Bermudas farther north. And um, in many ways, these ultra dwarf Bermudas, you know, you can have them from South Florida all the way up into Kentucky, into, you know, Washington, D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, Kentucky. Um, cold is definitely going to be your limiting factor. Yeah. Um, you see the same thing with athletic fields, too. You know, a lot of these um, NFL stadiums and college stadiums, the Bermuda grass has moved farther north, and, you know, they can do some pretty wild things, too, with blankets, and, you know, they have those heaters and the artificial lights, and a lot of that stuff was started over in the in Europe on soccer pitches, and um, it's moving farther north. And in some ways, the when you have the – the coldness at night in the wintertime is going to be your limiting factor, but in many ways, your ultra dwarf Bermuda greens, the farther north you have them, the better quality you can have. Yeah. Because, again, they don't grow very much in those climates, whereas in South Florida, when you have a 12-month growing season, where this is kind of going back to the thatch, when you take a five-month growing season compared to a 12-month, you know, you have double the amount of growth in the thatch, and there's less aerification, less cultivation, just less stuff that – us as golfers don't like to deal with when we're playing. Yeah, tur- turf is in- interesting because there's clearly a bunch of research going on um, all across the world, by my estimation. A lot of it happens here in the southeast, and, and a lot of, of the grasses that are innovative have been developed in the southeast. It's going to be interesting to see where it ultimately gets to. I'm, I'm hearing of some new varieties of zoysia grass, which I really love being used as putting surfaces in certain areas and it's starting to get finer and finer so de- definitely something that's 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 fun to follow if you're like us well, and you're and you're a turf geek it's interesting you talk about geek. you talk about what washington dc area now congressional just did their whole golf course over um by uh, andrew green and i went up there to visit and it's a bentgrass surface because it's going to have a tournament but they did the heating and cooling system underneath to through the stress of the summer to, to help the bentgrass survive the bentgrass is great in the spring and fall. So they chose in the Washington area still to stay with bentgrasses. But it turned around, even as far north as I did, I had a Bermuda practice tape because the recovery in the summer when I had most of my players, I had no idea you had Bermuda practice tape. Yeah. Long yeah. I, I, no I, wonder everybody thinks you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and what was nice about it was when they, I used to save that tea area for when we really got into the play in July and August when it was growing the best. I would overthrow fill divots with ryegrass, but the Bermuda just creeps so much better than my bentgrass tea, which got destroyed. So there is applications for it. I don't think you'll ever see a high-end course in Virginia North not staying with bentgrass because mm-hmm. it just it's, it's a great playing surface, but there is other applications for that. How yeah. did you keep that tea alive in the winter, Bob? You, just, you would cover it? Cover it for the whole winter. And that would get it through? Beautiful. You know, it was a great day. It was uh, now we just redid our whole range over, and when we did it, the members chose. Well, the golf pro complained about the tea because <laughs> hey, leave us alone <laughs> because because it was when we first put the Bermuda down. It's it you know it, it, it's hard to hit, not hard to hit all of them. I found it nice, but he complained about hitting hard. But then once he got used to it, he was fine, and then he saw the benefits. But when we did the tea over, they made they made a decision because it was my I was leaving them. They made the next superintendent made a decision to do a shortcut bluegrass on the tee, which I didn't think really felt as part of the golf course. It was a bentgrass golf course, and the Bermuda fit in really well with that. But they chose a shortcut blue on their practice tee. 
Now, now most superintendents, after having a, an amazing career like, like you've had, Bob, they, you're going to just ride off into the sunset, maybe never go look at a golf course again. But you, you, you love golf as much as anybody I've ever seen. And, and your retirement, uh, you're, you're writing for, for Golf Magazine, you're doing some podcasts for Golf Magazine, you're going and looking at all different golf courses. T- tell me about um, h- how you decided to do that and what it is that you're doing for Golf Magazine. Well, when I, I recommend this to any superintendent, I always had a plan that I would retire at 66, 67 years old. So I always had that plan of come, coming to watch this whole plantation so I bought years ago. I had my plan. So when I was getting ready to retire, a good friend of mine is Rand Morissette. He took over the top 100 for Golf Magazine. So he called me, and we had a chat. And I didn't want to join. I wanted to see as many golf courses as I could possibly see architecturally. But I didn't want to just be one of these Golf Digest guys that have 2,000 Raiders or a Golf Week that has all these Raiders. And he assured me that we were going to start out with 60 Raiders worldwide, and in doing that worldwide, we would, you know, it, and then we would communicate a lot better. Now we're at 90. So I felt like I could make a big difference So if I went to see a golf course. So he gave me the opportunity. So when I retired, I went right into that. The first year of retirement, I got to see 40 golf courses from, from nine states. So I did nine states, 40 golf courses. And I basically traveled as much as I could just to see the different architecture, the different, I didn't, we don't have a lot of Donald Ross golf courses like you do down here in, in the New York area. We had Siwanoi, but now when I went up to the New England area, I got to see tons of Donald Ross. I got to see all these, so I'm seeing, getting to see this. Next year, I plan on visiting at least 40 again. I go out in the fall to California. I'm doing all of California for a month. Then I'm doing the Midwest. I want to do Texas to Chicago. And then the year after that, I'm going to Europe. And I'm going to do Scotland and Ireland and England for a month, six weeks. So he I just it. he loves it, doesn't he, Jim? The good <laughs> news for you and I, Jim, he's going to be out of town a lot. And I've been talking about his front porch at Watchesaw Plantation. We're going to be on your front porch. Yeah, but let's stop right going, here. Going, Charlie is where's not, Bob? Where's Bob? Charlie has what he calls the show every night. His house overlooks the Intercoastal and the, the, the Walkmore River, and the sunset there is spectacular. So, would you rather sit on someone's porch looking at a parking lot? Or would you rather sit over by Charles? He just wants everybody to come to my house for the free wine. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, both spots yeah. are a lot of fun to hang out. And we appreciate you uh, hanging out with us. Uh, this has been uh, Balls in the Hair with uh, your uh, friendly neighborhood host, Charlie Reimer, Jim Huntoon, the superintendent at Heritage, which Pauly's Island, South Carolina, on the south end of Myrtle Beach. I tell everybody, you know, they ask me, I say, what's a hidden gem? What's a hidden gem? you got to go to Heritage when you come down to Myrtle Beach, and you're going to appreciate that golf course and the condition it's in. And Bob Rain, on the Long Island legend, now a retired superintendent who is doing a lot of work for uh, Golf Magazine, Traveling the World. Uh, gentlemen, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your friendship. And uh, the conversation that we've had here today is one we probably have about two or three days a week. So uh, if you're in this area, look us up. We'll sit down and the be only happy difference to talk is to you. We're having no, a cocktail. Right. We're not, we're not listening to you talk. We're talking to you. Just remember that if you sit down with us. We almost got in a big fight driving up here. Uh, we we're all talking at once and nobody listened. But, guys, thank you very much. Appreciate you being on the show. Thank Good you, job. Charlie. You got it, Jim. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. All right, Let's hope that I can look and see if I have a grandson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully the grandbaby's come due any time now. Hopefully you'll get a great text as we finish up this show. So, folks, join us uh, next time right here on Balls in the Air. And make sure that uh, you check us out wherever you 
listen to your podcast. And if you have a chance to like us, go ahead and like us because we like it when you like us. Thank you.